And you know what? The fellow playing the drums there is a talented guy and a fellow I've liked to talk with for such a great while. His name is Mr. Kenwood Denard, and he's lending assistance to one of the hardest working guys, Maceo Parker. And Kenwood Denard is really one of the top musicians at his craft. And we could actually spend about two hours reading all the people he's worked with and all the various projects. I'll name a few of them. Sting, Jaco Pastoris, Diane Reeves, Howard Johnson. Well, I'm going to ask him a question about that one because I'm a big fan of Howard Johnson. Miles Davis and Quincy Jones. And he also is a professor at Berkeley College of Music. And without further delay as the drums give us the backdrop, I welcome to the Upper Room with Joe Kelly, Mr. Kenwood Denard. How you doing, my brother? Check it out, check it out. Yeah. I'm going to give Joe Kelly some. How you doing? Pretty good, and uh, I'm, I'm really glad that we, we finally got you on the air and we got our <laughs> schedules aligned. So um, what's been uh, going up in Boston today? In Boston today, it's nice and warm, and you got some like stuff like this going on in Boston, like... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give give it to Joe Kelly. I'm going to give Joe Kelly some. I should do one of those radio uh, announcement things. Oh, man. You know, we should keep on going with that. You are listening to WVOF. <laughs> hey, I, I, I got I to gotta give you the, for the, uh, the improvised stuff there. That that was real cool. What, what are you working on there? What was I working on that? Yeah, what was that? You know, that's a uh, something that Dizzy Gillespie showed me. I don't know if you have like a a volume control, by the way, on your microphone, but uh, you're not coming in very loud on this particular uh, connection right now. Oh, okay. Uh, Joe. But anyhow, I can tell you, man, this is a 6,000-year-old a instrument. It's called a jaw harp. I'm very excited about it. Uh, it's it's um, something that Dizzy Gillespie showed me how to play. The actual first song that he showed me how to play on this instrument, I can't repeat. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the stuff, he uh, it's, it's just fascinating. It's made out of metal, and it's a jaw harp. People call it a Jew's harp. Uh, it's in Japan. They, they have a version made out of bamboo. They have one in Italy called Scaccia Pensare. Okay. Excuse me. And then they have one in Germany called Maltrammel. Maltrammel. And they have one in... Uh, in, in uh, actually, the first one was in a museum 6,000 years old in Egypt, right? It's a really mm -hmm. fun instrument. The hillbillies used to play it. Okay. Ozark Mountain uh, hillbillies. <laughs> uh, they have... They have um, they have them in Greece, a really fat one in Greece, and in India, they're, they're about like, like I say, you know, five, six thousand years old, and it's a great name. It's the mouth conch, Muharchang, mm -hmm. uh, they call it. And I just came back from India, you know, like last year, and then I saw a whole bunch of them. So it's a metal reed. It's a, it's a metal reed. The reed vibrates in your mouth like that, and you get to sound like. Uh, you're on a pogo stick. Or you can sound funky. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. 
Now, now, how many uh, of your students up at Berkeley uh, are getting into it? Are they curious? <laughs> uh, I don't know why, but none. Maybe one. <laughs> but he's not even at Berkeley. He graduated. He's in Nashville. Oh, okay. <laughs> going over there soon, too. Right. Oh, you're going. Oh, that's right. Um, you know, I made mention to you in an email I sent you that I was talking with uh, uh, Fuchs's, uh promotion guy, possibly his manager, and uh I said, well, Kenwood Denard's going to be on the show here at WVOF. And he says, oh, man, we're looking forward to having him down because you're, you're heading down to the indigenous planet. It, I'm going to the indigenous planet. We're all on the indigenous planet, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. I guess so, yeah. I'm going down to this wonderful uh, music camp. I guess listeners probably don't know what we're talking about, I guess. Right. So it, it's just like uh, the NBA top, uh, top 100 uh, drummers of all time, kind of a correlation like that, right? Well, it's a, it's a camp, right? It's a, it's a beautiful place where people can go away from the downtown city area of Nashville mm -hmm. and camp out and play rhythms. I mean, it's it's a very ancient kind of concept. Right. You know, and I think they're going to have uh, some wonderful guests, drumming, drumming you know, stars. Uh, Will Calhoun is going to be there, who... Uh, instills me with pride because he's a, such a warm right. gentleman and he's a you know former student of mine mm -hmm. and then uh will kennedy is uh, also going to be performing at the camp oh so from the and uh, they have they told me they have some great surprises up there you know i don't know who so it's going to be I'm, real i'm money. probably everyone knows i'm coming but at the same time i'm determined to be the surprise Oh, okay. <laughs> you you cooking up something real nice uh, yeah. to teach some of the young cats out there? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, for people uh, who wanted to know a little bit more about you, Kenwood, um, you're from Brooklyn, right? Yes, I'm. I'm uh, born in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. At the Brooklyn Hospital. Right. Uh, Bedford Stuyvesant in Brooklyn. Okay. And, uh, Home of U.B. Blake. U.B. Blake was right around the corner. He was like around it. He was around a hundred years old or something when he passed away. He was a brilliant pianist, as uh, hopefully many of many of the uh, listeners know. And uh, you started actually on the piano, right? That's what I'm told. I did. Yeah, yeah I did. Uh, my grandmother's a music teacher, piano teacher. Okay. And it was all around me, and uh, <laughs> all around me. And I just learned it, you know, right. on the piano. And what made you gravitate to, towards the uh, percussion instruments? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I like that question. Basically, people like to get some. Some people like to get chauvinistic about stuff. So they say, "Well, one instrument is better," and then you get all these people saying, "Well, no, one style of music is better," you know, and this and that. And people who like that, they like to you know do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But me, uh, I like all instruments and. You know, people, the thing is, is that the drums are sometimes the underdog. Right. You know, like you get uh, jokes, you know, what has three legs? No, I can't say that joke. But there's all kinds of drummer jokes, and we always get the brunt of, of the, uh, the underdog status. And so the way, the way I came onto the drum set was quite the opposite way. I... I conceive of the drums quite the opposite way I conceive them as an expansion a place I could go that was 
in some way beyond the piano. So in that, in the way I conceived of that was, the way I came to that was, I used to play James Brown stuff on the piano all the time. Uh, I heard James Brown's music on the radio, and I used to pick the melodies. Every time it would come on the radio, I'd go rushing to the piano. Uh-huh. And what was that? Oh, oh, doom, 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 You know, cold sweat. And, uh, well, now I realize that the actual bass line is doom, 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 And then there's the guitar parts that add the other parts that make the bass line sound like I thought it sounded when I was a kid. The funny thing is, no one told me that son, you know, these uh, musical notes and musical sounds that are coming out of the radio, my friend, are not being played by one musician. Right. <laughs> these things are being played by an entire thing called a band. Matter of fact, it was the, I guess it was the big band, James Brown and the Famous Flames. Now, the point being that little Kenwood had no idea, so I just played all the parts at once. From there, I decided, well, this is fun and this is funky and I like this, but what about my feet? Ah, so you had, you had to figure out something. So you can put two and two together, right? Right, yeah. Next thing you knew, I was on the drum set using both my feet and my hands, mm -hmm. and it was an expansion because I was able to, uh, I felt like I was able to use all four limbs in a more independent way. It was more fun for me. And not that I gave up the piano either, but it was, uh, I came to the drums as an upward journey. Mm-hmm. And, uh... You know, throughout uh, our conversation this afternoon, we're going to find out that Kenwood Denard is a really uh, definitely progressive thinker, and he's got a lot of great philosophies, and we'll get into uh, some, some drum school of thought that you're working on, right? Great. And uh, you know what? Why don't we get into something from your solo album, Kenwood Denard, and uh, you can go to uh, KenwoodDenard.com and uh, find out all the information, and it's on Amazon. You can go to your record stores to find out about it. And uh, what track are you feeling today? I, I think we can get into a bunch of them right here. Why don't we go with uh, Just Do It? How's that sound? Great. Kenwood Denard, and by the way, we should mention, he's worked with tremendous musicians on this project. Marcus Miller, right? Yep. Yeah, and Hiram Bullock? Yep. How, yep. How'd you get all those guys together? These cats are my friends. Uh -huh. uh, Marcus was a little youngster as I was making a lot of waves in New York, and he was kind enough to take time out of his uh, busy uh, star, you know, schedule and, uh, and do my record. He, he had always uh, apparently wanted to uh, do some playing with me. Mm -hmm. We also played together from time to time in the past, and it was a natural uh, progression. Uh, Marcus Miller and I played together with the Gil Evans Orchestra, under the direction of Miles Evans. Uh, I can recall we did a version of Teen Town by Jaco Pastorius. It was, it was the kind of thing that people live for. It was that great. It was just grooving. Um, doctors, lawyers, teachers, <laughs> they all love, they, they all, uh, uh, many times they tell me that they uh, love the kind of groove that you get from when you're listening to music 
and many of them have also tried playing music as well. So based on that experience that we had with the Gil Evans Orchestra playing that song, Teen Town, which, by the way, he later recorded on his own album mm -hmm. uh, using strictly slapping techniques uh, on the bass. And it was the, the strictly slapping approach that he used originally with the uh, Miles Evans Orchestra, okay. you know, the Gil Evans Orchestra, uh, that... Um, you know, that we enjoyed so much. And it, it led up to him being on the record. Hiram and I played together a lot, too, as you may know, with this group called the, called PDB, uh, Pastorius, Bullock, and Denard, uh, which became a uh, very popular favorite in Japan, especially. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, I don't in endorse the company who made that record, frankly, because they don't give money to uh, Jocko's estate now that Jocko has passed on. Mm, yeah. However, uh, this is uh, how Hiram and I uh, had most of our experiences was from going on the road with, uh, with, with that group, with Jocko. And then Delmar Brown and Charles Blenzig are two very important musicians as well. Uh, if you listen to Charles Blenzig, he and I have a very special thing that Joe, I want you to really listen to. I think you'll really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Is this thing that he and I do? Uh, we we come together, especially on this song called "Just." It's called uh, "Justice," and we play these rhythms spontaneously together, and we read each other's mind, and we both end up playing the same rhythms in groupings of nine. Mm -hmm. So we we laugh. Right, we right. say, "Oh yeah, man, we have the brotherhood of nines." You know, we're always, like, tight like that, uh, right, Charles right. Blenzik and myself. And last but not least, Delmar Brown. He and I worked with Sting together. It's been a worldwide journey with him and I, with he and I. We played with uh, Pat Martino together, and that was, uh, that's, we have a record called The Stone Blue that we recorded with Pat Martino recently. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what is that on uh, Blue, Blue Note Records, I believe? Wow, that's a nice label. <laughs> Huh? That that's a definitely nice label. Yeah. 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 And and you have um actually Pat Martino we did a record on Warner Brothers Records called Joyous Lake in nineteen seventy six together. So Delmar and I went to Berkeley together. We've been roommates, really, really tight friends. So the way I came together with these musicians was incredibly warm and meaningful, productive relationships. And we're going to listen to uh, their work together right now. This is from Kenwood Denard's Just Advance CD, and the track is called Just Do It, right here on The Upper Room with Joe Kelly. The Upper Room, and uh, we welcome back to The Upper Room, Mr. Kenwood Denard. Kenwood, you still there? You dig. You yep. dig. And that, you know, where'd you come up with, uh, with some of those phrases? You dig and uh, Just Advance, one of, your, one of your key philosophies to living, right? Uh, you'd have to uh, speak up a little bit on the telephone there. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, just advance my philosophy. It, yeah, exactly. It is a key philosophy. You know, I can't um, think of anything I enjoy more right now than uh, moving forward with a sense of dignity and justice. Okay. For humanity. Mm-hmm. And it is detailed on your website um, exactly how you came to that point, right? Well, it's interesting about what exactly how I came to that. It's like 
<clears throat> it's a culmination of just being natural, being myself, and then looking back over uh, events in my life and um, analyzing it a little bit and just um, realizing that I have a relentless approach. Mm -hmm. When I was working with with uh, Jaco Pastorius, we used to always just use that word. It was just like we were running around shouting these words for no apparent reason. And one of the words was relentless. It wasn't exactly no reason. We all knew it was a sort of a code word that evolved as we were on the road together. It's kind of like relentlessly, let's just say it means partying relentlessly. So we'd look at some guy and we'd say, oh, yeah, man, this guy's relentless. Uh-huh. And then we'd listen to the music, and we and we it would start to apply to the music as well. Man, relentless, you know. So uh, the idea of advancing, just advancing, is a relentless forward motion. But it's relentless towards uh, a sense of dignity and justice at the same time. And you've uh, also... That's why, you know, that's why it's just advance instead of just advance, if you follow me. Mm-hmm. You, you've also, uh, back in the 80s, you converted to Buddhism, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And um, where were you at that, at, at that point in your life? Or were you over in uh, Asia? That would be 1987. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I took a great tour of uh, Japan... And I was p performing with a gentleman. First of all, I performed with Wayne Shorter. Now, Wayne Shorter, he also, he also practices uh, Buddhism. And I was playing with him in Brazil, having the time of my life. And I mean relentless on all fronts, not just, uh, you know, having the time of my life partying. <clears throat> Although Brazil is... Is like the heaven of partying. It's a great place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but also, philosophically, I've always had a philosophical side. And I've always questioned the wonders of the universe uh, ever since a young kid. And this is part of what fuels my music. And I know that there's a lot of people out there who, who can identify with that, that came to music the exact same way. And... and um, so here I was um, with Wayne Shorter and trying to understand him. <laughs> uh, sometimes his speech sounds cryptic, so it was hard to understand what he was saying. And um, enjoying every minute of it, doing a lot of reading on the beach. I was actually reading uh, Gurdjieff, and I was reading Auspensky, the uh, book The Fourth Way. And it showed the value of finding a school, what they call a school. Uh, a, a school, a human school, a body for inspiration and growth. Uh, that's my interpretation of what they meant by school. And so, so basically I played with Wayne, got inspired. And six months later, I did a tour with uh, Shunzo Ono, great trumpet player, friend of mine, uh, who also worked in the, the Gil Evans Orchestra, which turns out to be a pivotal band in my career, Gil Evans Orchestra, because that's how I ended up working with Miles. That's how I ended up working uh, with Jocko, 
that's how I ended up working with a lot of people like John McLaughlin. Uh, yeah, you know, the, not only that, Sting enjoyed the Gil Evans Orchestra. That's how I ended up working with Sting. So, uh, so here, I, here I was working with Shinzo Ono, who I knew him from the Miles Evans Orchestra, and he took me all around Japan. And uh, uh, it was it was uh, in Japan that uh, I discovered uh, Buddhism. And uh, I, I myself lived over in Taiwan, so I know I know it's a different different culture and everything. Um, really nice time as well, but. Uh, how, how'd you handle those uh, the plane flights? You hold plane flights? Uh, yeah. Plane frights? Flights. Actually, they, they say frights sometimes. <laughs> oh. Okay, the plane flights. Right. Uh, you know, I'm. those are my friends, too. I have a lot of friends. Right. Those are my friends because <sighs> there ain't no pressing schedule once you're up there in that air <laughs> for like, uh, what was it, 13 hours or... Something like that. Yeah, Narita's a long flight. There's yeah. no schedule. Uh huh. You can you can vegetate. You can watch a movie. You know, uh, chant, talk, meet new people, read, eat. Although you know you don't expect all that much out of the food, but you know you can just relax. I don't mind them at all. The air can get a little bit stifling, I suppose, mm -hmm. sometimes. And then the air, the air pressure is a little strange sometimes when you're coming in for a landing, right? And your ears start popping. But those are small prices to pay for living a life that you love. Right. <laughs> and, and when you go over there, um, for, for listening music fans, now, are they open-minded to uh, music that's gotten closed off on, on uh, American radio today? Hmm? Are they a bit open-minded uh, and more open to getting, you know, let's say, funk, jazz on radio that they don't hear these days on American radio? Well, um, this is a good question. You're asking me about J Japanese radio? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I'm not familiar with Japanese radio. What I've heard on the radio in Japan has been very foreign-sounding pop, you know, ja uh, Japanese pop music. Okay. That similarly... Similar to uh, here in the States, uh, some of the people don't like. They actually, uh, in the United States, I hear people complaining sometimes, well, all the stuff you hear on the radio, a lot of the stuff you hear on the radio is superficial. Well, they say the same thing in Japan, right. to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have noticed for one reason or another, I don't know whether it's because, the, uh, because of radio airplay or not, but I've noticed for one reason or another, the actual live acceptance for jazz and fusion music is uh, higher in, in Japan than it is in the States. How, how do you like uh, playing the uh, live venues out there? The live venues, incredible. There's a pit in there. I played uh, the Madaral Jazz Festival, uh, Yokohama, Nagoya, uh, you know, just... I went to Hiroshima and I visited the life-changing, beautiful museum that they have there in Hiroshima. You know, based on the, uh, you know, the uh, World War II, and there are some uh, paintings from young kids over there that are saying, "We don't want war." You know, they're so um, so 
touching, so moving, and so poignant. Uh, you know that that I've been there. Went been to Nagasaki. Uh, you know, just all over. And uh, one time, Jocko said to me, "We went over there." He said, "Woody, hey, you know what? We're bigger than miles, man. We're bigger than miles over here." So apparently, a lot of them. Like, the, you know, Jaco Pestorius had a big following in Japan, and they came out in droves to uh, to see us perform with the uh, word-of-mouth band. First time I went there was uh, with, with Manhattan Transfer in 1980. I guess I've been back around 16 times. You know, I really dig it. Right. Uh, Manhattan Transfer had a big, you know, following over there as well. We did a, I saw a video, a laser disc over there. Of uh, of some of my performing with the, um, the Manhattan Transfer, I like the forward-thinking, you know, aspect of Japan. The people are very much into uh, into technology and so forth. As a matter of fact, I had a really interesting experience <clears throat> when I went to Japan. When I was performing with uh, Janice Siegel and Tim Howard and the guys, uh, you know, uh, who comprised the Manhattan Transfer, we performed. I guess it was Yokohama. At some theater, and during the concert, this is 1980. During the concert, I could have sworn that the audience was full of wooden Indians. Uh huh. It was a little weird. We're playing and all the stuff, and nobody's moving. They're not particularly smiling, for that matter, either. Either. And then finally, in the very end, then they show their emotion. <laughs> <laughs> the very very end, they start clapping and everything, right? Screaming, right? And uh, then it was so strange. They all stood up, right? Okay. You might say, well, wait, what's so strange about that? But they stood up at the same exact time, it seemed to me. And it was like somebody was conducting, you know, the whole audience. They all stood up. Right? Next thing you know, almost as if some, again, someone was conducting, they all turned and faced away from the stage. All right. I'm exaggerating a little bit. They didn't all do this uh, mass, but it, it really seemed like that because a lot of them did. They just stood right up and turned directly to the sound man. And I've never seen anything like that uh, since or before in any other country. They all gave the sound man a standing ovation. So somebody in the audience was really thinking about technology and, and so forth. I, I, I thought that was a really interesting aspect of the Japanese culture. Wow, that must keep you know keep you coming back. You said what, sixteen times, right? Sixteen times back to Japan. Yeah, sixteen yeah. times. You know, the food the food takes you back. You're right. <laughs> the people, um, uh, they're, they're very polite. They're mm -hmm. extremely polite. Right. Um, you know, so they get you get the sense they do anything for you. Uh, I know that. People say that uh, they're also difficult to understand, uh, and I can I can dig that too. But <clears throat> they have a lot of humanity, very polite. Uh, in Brazil, when I went to Brazil, the people are extremely friendly as well. In in Brazil, it's a little bit more of a down to earth approach. Um, they're very 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 friendly. I mean, they're really close and very open and and very buddy-buddy-like. In Japan, you know, they don't just run up and grab you and say, hey, come to my house, you know, let's have some fishwada. <laughs> you know, 
which would be a Brazilian dish, but but they are extremely polite. I dig the um, the subtle artistic vibe uh, over there as well. Now, one of the guys uh, you work with and and toured with is Maceo Parker, and um, what a what a band you guys put together for a live release, Life on Planet Groove. Right. Um, how, how did you uh, get hooked up with Maceo? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, because one day I was looking at uh, my life and I thought, wow, you know, things are great. I'm doing a lot of music and boom, you know, boom, bing, bing. Everything's going on along well. And and like I said to you, uh, I get philosophical, right? So I, I said to myself, well, all right, I want to look into my roots. I don't know, maybe like Alex Haley did or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it was more of a... It's just a, a vibe. I wanted to look into my roots. And so uh, it turns out that around that time, the phone rang. And it was, uh, it was Maceo. It was Maceo. Either it was Maceo or it was uh, my friend Rodney Jones, I think it was. Rodney Jones is a friend of mine who is the, my liaison to that group, Maceo Parker's group. And Rodney, my, Rodney Jones said, you know, how would you like to join you know, Maceo Parker, and I said, oh, yeah, sure, let's talk with him. I talked with Maceo Parker, and it turns out that the name of the tour that I was going on was the Mo Roots Tour. Uh-huh. And I just thought, what an incredible, you know, sequence of events. I don't want to call it a coincidence, because that has, like, this magic other kind of connotation. But it, it, these things happen so often that to call them coincidences misses the opportunity to describe the depth and beauty of what's happening. So, <laughs> so anyway, I went on, I went on tour with them. That was madness. Um, we went to, to where was it? Gothen, Gothenburg was one thing we did in Gothenburg where, uh, people mobbed us and they jumped up on the stage and there were girls dancing on top of the speakers, the PA speakers. Uh-huh. Like in the 60s. It was like in the 60s all over again, like the Go-Go Girls. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this was spontaneous, and nobody... It wasn't like they were, they, they were paid to do that, and that was their job, and they had to do that. No, this was real. This was very spontaneous, and lots of, uh, you know, like lots of fun. It's incredible. We we played all all around the world. The, the actual recording that you were playing earlier came from a live performance in Cologne, Germany, which I have a, 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 a love for. Actually, I'm going to Cologne in a couple of weeks, I think. <laughs> now, how about uh, when you're touring with Maceo? Are, are, are the, are the rehearsal the rehearsals and sound checks really uh, really strong and tough working with Maceo? Rehearsals and sound checks? Yeah. Let's think. The rehearsals and sound checks, you know, that's a good question, too, because uh, there was one, one rehearsal and sound check we were doing where I, I specifically asked Maceo about his rhythmic concept. So if he's listening to this show, he will have forgotten all about that. Uh-huh. But uh, I asked him, I said, uh, so what do you want me to do? You want me to play the drums, you know, ahead of the beat? Or you want me to play, like on the beat or you want me to play lay back behind the beat you know what I'm saying right and he goes to me uh, no <laughs> he says no if anything let the band rush <laughs> get you right yeah 
So that's nice, right? Uh-huh. That's an interesting concept. And he, he put his hand up uh, like, like some kind of karate guy, like with his uh, fingers pointing straight up in the air. He said, if anything, and he, he closed one eye. If anything, let the band rush. Wow. So he likes, he likes to have it right on. And then the other thing during the sound checks, that's a really um, unexpected question on your part. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing in terms of the sound checks is uh, that there was one period where, where he was asking me to, uh, I think we were playing um, uh, something with Candy Dulfer. Oh, yeah, Candy. Yeah, work happening, with, female saxist. Work with Prince, and, yeah. And um, we were doing this, this tune, and... Um, and and it, I was playing beat, you know, and he it wanted me to play this fill that goes. He said, "No, man, I want you to do it like this." Like, but the funny thing about playing with Maceo, sometimes he would he would look at me and and he would uh, he would say things like, "Yo, camera, yo, when you when you play this beat, I want you to when you get your back beat, when you get your hands right, you go really start to go, okay, you got to make sure is that cool." And I would be like, yeah, okay, no problem. I got you covered, man, like a blanket. You know, but in other words, he'd be like talking so fast, you couldn't understand what he was saying, but you got the feeling of it. So he'd be saying to me, you know, Kenwood, I want you to play. So I say, okay, I say to myself, come on, you know, this is easy enough. By, by this time, I had played with, let's say, Pat Martino, John McLaughlin. This music was complex. Another uh, artist whose name reflecting it in my art, ended up playing polyrhythms, four separate polyrhythms, four separate rhythms with all four separate limbs, all uh, different tempos in each limb, and all this other stuff. So when he said to me, I'm like, okay, saying to myself, that's easy. So I go on the drums and I go, right? He says, no, I want. He knows exactly what Phil. Those sound checks were so challenging and, and uh, funny. To be honest with you, uh, I never would have played the way I played on his album had it not been for Maceo Parker being such a strict band leader. And I, I appreciated it. I thought it was really, really great. Yeah, I guess I'll let you know the reason I, I asked you that is because last summer um, he played the Toronto uh, Jazz Festival up there. And then I was up in Montreal the next day to, to see him play in Montreal. And I was trying to get an interview with him. And they said, no, Maceo's been rehearsing the band since 10 in the morning before a, a gig. So it, it must be, you know, must have been a hardworking thing. Yeah, yeah, hard, hard working. You know, I guess since James Brown is a little older, I guess now, I maybe Maceo still. Maybe he's one of the more, most hard working men in show business now. Yeah. <laughs> However, he doesn't rehearse a band more than Harry Belafonte. Uh huh. No, no way. Uh, you know, Harry Belafonte have you on the road. You, you know, you you can hang up all the other things you might have had in mind because you're going to be rehearsing like nine to five. Oh wow we're talking nine to five with a with a uh a break mandated by the union wow <laughs> <laughs> in the middle there someplace for uh -huh. like an hour 
and and you're sitting there and you're going uh forever young for for like nine out for like what eight hours oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but we had some interesting music too man with with uh with uh Harry Belafonte. I have the most respect for him as well, partly because of his attitude of freedom fighting, his attitude of uh, fighting through his music against uh, human injustice. You know, it's like uh, there's a big <clears throat> unjust advance that goes on uh, sometimes. And Harry's, Harry Belafonte has been over to South Africa. You know, he has a, a strong relationship with... Um, uh, Mandela, and he had a strong relationship with Martin Luther King, and uh, you know, so I really, really respect. I have a lot of stories about Harry Belafonte that I really respect. He's also complex too. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I love that cat, man. So um, you know, I'm looking at all the cats that you played with, and you know, you have older legends who are you know approaching 80 and everything like that, and you play with young up and coming and. You know, this could be an open-ended question, but do you have uh, any any folks you you like to collaborate with, either live or on record? Collaboration is Delmar Brown. Uh huh. Um, you know, we have a mystic thing going on. When you hear it, you'll know what I'm saying. Some of it comes out on my record, just advance. Uh, when you hear Delmar and I uh, really uh, collaborating spontaneously, uh, I've been. I've been collaborating with um, some young and up upcoming people. You mentioned young and upcoming. I like uh, Morali Coriel. Right. Who's you know uh, that you know Morali? Oh yeah, great guitarist, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's got some happening music. Uh huh. Uh, I've been working with Jeff Carlton uh, recently, uh, uh, and, and Jeff Carlton is uh, Morali's manager. Okay. As well, he I think he has more than one artist. Uh, myself and and Morali. I, I should give a plug for Morali that um, Saturday night he's uh, playing down in New York City opening up for Deep Banana Blackout at Irvin Plaza. Saturday, tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow. So, uh, Well, the latest information is that um, that gig is not going to happen, Joe. Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah. So, so now, now, you, now, now you know. For um, Deep Banana or Morali? Uh, well, no, no, don't, don't. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Okay. Don't get me wrong. Banana... I have no idea about Banana. Right. I'm talking about Morali Coriel. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, he needs to, um, you know, to uh, just just the the gig's not happening right now. Uh, he he actually uh, is ill. Okay. So um, you know. Okay. So uh, he'll be back. He'll be yeah. back in action soon. <laughs> he just needs to rest up. I think. Yeah. Okay. But anyways, it's gonna be a slamming show down there. But we'll, Morali is uh, supposed to be playing up here in April, and uh, we hope that comes off. And you know what? Before uh, we get into to more discussion, we, I wanted to get into a track off uh, Life on Planet Groove, mm -hmm. and uh, you and Maceo tearing it up. And uh, what do you, you got a favorite off of this one? You know, no. But no? you know, you might want to play that uh, addictive love drums just get started justice because I mentioned some of the interplay between myself and Charles Blenzig. And that's off uh, Just Advance and that's uh, Kenwood Denard's CD which uh, came out in 1992 but you can still pick it up through various channels on the internet and you go to KenwoodDenard.com and uh, also uh, there's a video uh, release for that uh, Just Advance, right? 
Right. There's a video. It's an educational video, but there's also a lot of performing going on, and people might appreciate the uh, conceptual um, aspect of the video as well. All right. Why don't the name we of the video is, of course, Just Advance. It comes in two volumes, one and two. That's right, and uh, definitely well worth uh, spending the money. It's affordably priced, and, and, you know, music, that's what it's all about. And Kenwood Denard was going to come back after we play something from Just Advance, Just Drums, Just Get Started, Justice from Kenwood Denard. To 88.5 WVOF in Fairfield, and we are broadcasting in Fairfield, Connecticut. It is 15 minutes after 5 o'clock. Should remind you, my special guest right now is a really standout uh, musician, drummer, teacher, and performer. His name is Kenwood Denard, and we listen to Just Drums, Just Get Started, and Justice from his wonderful CD, Just Advance. And uh, I wanted to ask him, um, he's got a track which... Uh, Closes off his uh, CD, and Kenwood is back with us once again. And uh, you got Purple Rain on there from uh, Prince Rogers Nelson. What, you're a Prince fan, right? Oh, yeah, I dig Prince, man. Um, you you worked, uh, spent some time with him up in uh, Minneapolis recently? I, uh, last year, <clears throat> uh, when he had this whole tour of the um, Paisley Park. Oh, okay. Yeah, for the celebration. Uh, it was around his birthday time. Right, the celebration. I decided to go and uh, check it out. He's got a, he's got a, a veritable uh, layer, a beautiful layout for uh, Paisley Park, all, all these different um, little nooks and crannies, and, and the people were partying all night. It was just loads of fun. And I, I, I was, um, yeah, I was entertained. I thought it was really uh, cool. Uh, amusing <laughs> how uh, he got his name back now. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so I said to him, oh, uh, Prince, you know, and he looked right up, yes, you know. said, well, look, man, I had a great time, you know, I'll see you, you know, see you next time. Okay, okay, you know, nice, you know, nice vibe. Yeah. I just thought it was like, it's, it's, uh, he created such a, uh, a, um, fascinating and amusing scenario by not having a name right for so long <laughs> and now he's back to prince so yeah. I, I caught him i caught him in concert in philadelphia um in november so he's got another cool drummer playing from berkeley uh john blackwell right john blackwell was he one of your students no no uh -huh. <laughs> so, but um yeah he, he was he was playing really nice out there with prince so i'll bet I think he knows how, Prince knows how to get a lot out of his musicians. Mm -hmm. He was getting an awful lot out of Larry Graham. Right. When I saw them uh, uh, in Minneapolis. Did you go to any of the shows during the celebration week? I went to the one show that they had uh, in, in, a, in a larger venue. Oh, the Northrop Auditorium? That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, have you been there? Have you heard no. about it? No. Um, I haven't been there, but... Uh, I, I knew all about the celebration, and how, how was the show? Oh, it was a slamming show. You know, Maceo was uh, slamming. Uh, he had uh, he had a rapper on there. Who who was that? Um, uh, Q-Tip. Who? Q-Tip. Q-Tip wasn't on it at this particular show. Oh, okay. I don't think it was. It was... Um, Dougie Fresh? Yeah, it was Dougie. Dougie right? Fresh. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, this, this show was uh, um, at, on a high level. I thought it was a good high level of intensity. Uh, 
uh, musicianship, uh, and he's got the great combination of having of being a pop icon as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm all for it. He sounds great. Now um, you're an, you're associate professor up at Berkeley, right? Yeah, that, that yeah. was really funny. By the way, before we leave Prince, I, I kind of like didn't notice he was in the room he, because he's so quiet. And uh, he was standing right there, and, um, you know, so I said, oh, wow, you know, I'm contributing some money to the organization, to your organization. <laughs> you know, uh, um, I, I said to him, um, Purple Rain is one of my favorite songs, and, and uh, you know, so I hope you like it. And, you know, I, I gave him a copy and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, he just... He just um, chuckled he didn't he doesn't say much yeah um it was good to make that connection with him because purple rain you know was uh you know uh, one of my uh, one of my favorites it'd be nice if you guys could uh nice movie if you, if you guys could do a collaboration one of these days that would be tight oh thanks yeah, yeah. that would be tight yeah i'd vote for that one definitely and Woo. uh um, well, you know prince is one of the fir- one of the few who can uh, go in the studio and play multiple instruments and come out sounding like a real uh, a viable musical entity, a real band. Right. Uh, of course, in my experience, Stevie Wonder was uh, the, the first I heard really do that. But now, meanwhile, the, the Meta Rhythmic Orchestra is uh, my concept of doing uh, something similar but live. And so now I've been doing that for so long, and it's like, uh, it's so much fun. It's, it's a spontaneous. It allows me a flexibility that I wouldn't have if I were using sequencers. It allows me a flexibility that I wouldn't have if I was overdubbing in the studio, and I'm really excited about, uh, about that. Uh, and actually, the gentleman I mentioned to you, uh, uh, Jeff Cullerton and I have uh, some some plans to bring the Metarhythmic Orchestra out again. Uh, we're going to play on the 25th of June at the Berkeley Performance Center at 7:30 p.m. Mm-hmm. So, folks, uh, listen on the internet in the uh, Boston area, or if you want to travel, June 25th, right? June 25th, mm-hmm, right? Boston. Now, what what kind of setup do you bring yourself um, to play? What kind of setup do I use? Yeah, equipment-wise? you're right. What I'm gonna. You had another question you were gonna ask too. I hope you don't forget it. Oh great. no, no. But anyway, I was. Um, <clears throat> my setup is, I use some vintage keyboards, a DX7 on my left side, which is what I use for the bass lines. Okay. I use a DW8000 uh, keyboard on the right by Korg, which I use for sustained harmonies to give it uh, a, f- a fuller, you know, a nice full mellow sound when I play. Um, I also use use that same keyboard for lead lines. You know, all kinds of stuff with that. Um, I use the uh, a, a drum set that I play with my feet. Uh, some of the, some of the listeners probably want me to talk about this kind of stuff mainly. And you, I get excited when I'm talking about this kind of stuff because um, it goes to the peak of my capability uh, as a human being. Because <laughs> I'm playing the drum set with the feet, then I'm playing the bass lines with the left hand, I'm playing the right hand chords and melody. Uh, and then I'm singing sometimes along with the melodies. 
so you know it it, it uh, all comes together in a in a cohesive whole. All of the band members of this one man band really know how to live with each other. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they eat the same food. They sleep together. They live together. They they rarely fight, and, and the music shows it. Um, you know, it has a cohesiveness to it. Now I wanted that's to. Equipment. Yeah, that's. I tell you, we. I have a, a, a device that I invented that I may bring out that day, which is um, a MIDI a MIDI shaker a mm-hmm. MIDI shaker a. I have the next thing I use uh, you, that you referred to earlier as the throat device. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah. It's called MIDI Vox. Um, they don't make them anymore, but it's a uh, MIDI controller made for the voice. Um, I think the general, gentleman from New York Voices was interested in one at one point. I don't know if he ever followed through, but um, it's uh, I may bring that out. I might not. It depends on the um, the music, the artistic consideration. I'd rather not <clears throat> be entirely dependent on the machines to make uh, my music. Uh, I would rather have a collaboration with the machines and actually um, enlist the collaboration, yeah, enlist the assistance of the machines Okay. instead. And I do that with the acoustic drum set as well. You know, I have a concept where instead of adapting my body to the drum set, I'll sit and play in midair, decide where I'm comfortable, and then I'll add the drums to uh, to the scenario. I put the drums in front of my body instead of my my body conforming to the drum set. And then, since it's a collaboration, I also can be flexible with that too, because, uh, for example, I have five five different pedals. Let's see, uh, one double bass drum pedal. Then I have a uh, a second bass drum that I use with my left foot, and it has a, it's uh, I use that bass drum as a snare drum. It, it has a snare drum sound uh, <clears throat> because I simply put the snare drum inside of the bass drum. And so that I have like a right, let's see, uh, one double bass drum pedal. So that's one pedal. Then the left part of the double bass drum pedal is two pedals. And this, the snare drum bass drum that I just mentioned, right. that would be like three pedals. And then two hi-hats. So it's like basically five pedals. And so... To be realistic about it, I can't just say, all right, well, look, I feel comfortable with my feet, shoulder width apart, so that's where I'm going to put all the pedals, because that isn't going to happen. It's a collaboration, so sometimes I have to adjust, you know, my body and be flexible and move around, but um, the basis of, of everything is that the machines, you know, are uh, extensions of, of my body instead of, instead of uh, having to conform to the machines. So therefore, I might use <clears throat> the MIDI box that day, and I m- might not. Depends on the uh, the actual music, which depends on the metarhythmic atmosphere. In other words, uh, I, you know, somebody out there is going to say, "Oh, Kenwood sounds like Sun Ra. He's he's talking. Right. And you can't understand what he's saying." But a metarhythmic atmosphere is an atmosphere in which the rhythms in the atmosphere transcend themselves. In other words, they are rhythms, but they're more than rhythms. So to be basic about the explanation, they are phenomena which move the human heart. 
and definitely go check out Kenwood Denard with his uh, Rhythmic Orchestra, June 25th at the Berkeley. Exactly, what's the venue? The Berkeley Performance Center at 130 Mass Ave. Okay. Hey, Kenwood, we got a show actually coming up in about five minutes, so uh, I'm going to jump into a couple cuts from Just Advance, and uh, I want to thank you so much from uh, our discussion today. Oh, great, great. Check yeah. out Micro. Micro Vars. Oh, yeah, too. yeah, that's right. Right? What is it? Uh, uh, collaboration. You're, you're working with uh, Micro? Micro, micro Vars. It's a Club Delph. The name of the band is Club Delph. Okay. We got a record called As Above. And go check it out. Um, you can go to um, www.clubdelph.com. Don't forget to go to my website. You can pick up my CD or you can pick up my video at kimmergenard.com. And I, I have to say, he's got a his really, really tight website because you can you could see, first of all, he's worked with tons of great musicians and... and uh, also, you have uh, drum lessons, and, and you can pick up on the real technical stuff, and he makes it fun, and he's always a forward thinker. And your philosophy just advances on there as uh, well. Yeah, and some cool pictures, and I, I like your uh, up there with Victor and Steve Smith, and, uh, you know, you're, you're a serious guy, but you're real fun to have on the show, and I wasn't just blowing hot air. You're, you're a great guest. Thanks. Hey, check out, check out uh, Net for Music, Joe. Okay. N-E-T, the number four music.com okay uh, my friend Steve Flynn has a lot of music uh, sheet music on that it's great I'm cool. involved in that too yeah I mean check it all out and uh, Kenwood Denard K-E-N W-O-O-D D-E-N-N-A-R-D dot com and um, he's up at the Berkeley College of Music uh, lending his wisdom to uh, the younger students and uh, always evolving and uh, thanks Kenwood for stopping by the upper room and you know if you're down here, we're only an hour away from New York City, so you're welcome to pop by the studio anytime. Great, great. Check out Lionel Levesque, Joe. Uh-huh. He's, he's a Berkeley student from Africa. He plays guitar, make it sound like a, a conga, man. It's incredible. <laughs> man. So, man, you got some serious guys out there. Oh, yeah. you better believe you it. Know, I got these two, two Japanese students of mine who actually funk so hard, you would not believe it. Man, you got to get them in the studio for some some yeah, stuff. Yeah, man. Well, and then uh, Wesley, what is it? Fred Wesley, the trombone player. Yeah, the, the funkiest trombone player in the world. I just got him on Soul Live's new record. Yeah, 